We are wrapping up our summer series, Read It Again, today by going back to the very beginning and rereading the opening chapter of the Bible. Now, most of my ministry, I've worked with high school and college students that are starting to explore the bigger questions of faith and life as they press harder into the depths of good theology and origin and purpose questions. Frankly, I am energized by their breakthroughs into deeper understandings. It's part of why I love doing what I get to do at PCM. Now, lots of times when a student discovers a deeper truth of our faith or they are led into a more advanced understanding of Scripture, a common response is anger about what they learned in third grade Sunday school or even eighth grade confirmation isn't the whole truth. It's like, my third grade Sunday school teacher lied to me. Well, it, it's an understandable response. I mean, I had the same response multiple times in college and in seminary. Well, that's not how I originally learned this story. Now, while trying not to defend the confirmation curriculum too quickly, I think it can be helpful to frame what's happening this way. When a child begins to learn the concepts of math, they must start with whole numbers and with simple addition. It's not that the teacher is lying to them by not including fractions and negative numbers. It's that you've got to get the basics of addition before you can move on to calculus. The same is true in eighth grade or even college. The basics of calculus must be mastered before one can move on to, say, quantum physics. So they tell me. Thankfully, neither quantum physics or calculus are required for my profession. Well, the same is true of scripture and of theology. One must start somewhere. And then as maturity develops, as additional learning is layered on, deeper insights can be mined. Spiritual growth happens. So no, your third grade Sunday school teacher did not lie to you. Neither did your eighth grade geometry teacher. And thank God for both of those teachers. Hopefully the information you got was age appropriate. They were laying the groundwork for you to build upon. Seems to me the problem comes when we stay stagnant in our eighth grade confirmation understanding of scripture or theology. A 25-year-old or a 65-year-old trying to cram a mature, lived experience worldview into an eighth grade confirmation theology is never going to work. Given those ingredients, something is going to explode. And most often, it will be the 25-year-old's faith. Now, what I hope we can do more and more is to expand that eighth grade theology into a college-aged appropriate theology, and then a midlife-age appropriate theology, and then even an older adult appropriate theology. You see, transformation has always been part of the spiritual journey. My hope is that today's look again at one of the Bible's creation narratives can allow us to expand our understanding of God and Scripture so that we're not left with the only two options being 
hold on to our third grade theology or let go of Scripture altogether. Okay, I admit that was a lot even before reading the Scripture for the day. We're, we're almost there, but one more thing. As we turn to the first of two distinctive creation stories given to us in Genesis, I want to invite us to listen to this text as it was intended and as it was understood for the first several thousand years in its written form as a theological statement about God as creator and about God's relationship with humanity. You see, it has not been until very recently in human history that we have begun to ask questions of Genesis as if it were a historically descriptive account of what happened. Biblical scholar Walter Brueggemann says that kind of scientific descriptive reporting is alien to the text and to the world of the Bible. We are about to encounter sacred Hebrew poetry translated the best we can into English that teaches theology and about God's activity in the world. The first chapter of Genesis is not and never claimed to be a scientific or a historical document. It's poetic theology that helps us understand God and our relationship with God. Before we turn to Scripture, let us turn to the Almighty in prayer. Infinite God, as we turn to your word, may the words of Scripture meet us afresh and continue to transform us into the people you desire us to be. Open our ears, our minds, and our hearts, and through your mysterious Spirit, enter in. Amen. We will be reading most of the first chapter of Genesis. It's in the very beginning of your pew Bible if you want to follow along, but we'll skip over a sentence here and there. I want to thank Campbell Owen and Lily Chilton for helping to read scripture today. Lily is God's voice again, so definitely listen to her. And Campbell's voice is especially important in the text, so listen well to the scripture in Campbell's voice. So let us listen to the opening poetry of the scripture that is shared by both Jews and Christians from Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. And then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And there was evening. And there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters. And there was evening. And there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the sky be gathered together in one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, Let the earth put forth vegetation, 
plants yielding seed, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. And so God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them. Saying, be fruitful. Saying, (laughs) be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas. And let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things, and wild animals of the earth of every kind. And it was so. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, Let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in God's image. In the image of God, he created them. God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Thank you, Campbell and Lily, for lending your voice. And God saw that it was good. Campbell reminds us over and over again, God saw that the created world was good. Unfortunately, much of modern American Christianity seems to be obsessed with original sin. Catholic priest and mystic Richard Rohr helpfully points out that the words original sin are never mentioned in the Bible. Rohr reminds us that what is in the opening chapter of the Bible is good, 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 very good, and then blessings. When we start at the beginning, what is clear is that there is an original blessing from God. And that these blessings are meant to be a blessing to the whole earth for the common good. Now, there is nearly endless theology to mine from this ancient sacred text. But on this time, 
of reading it again, our focus will be on the goodness of creation, the goodness of us as created creatures, and the responsibility God gives us through that original blessing. Because it's how God chose to do it, we are God's creatures. God has named us good, and God has blessed us. And the great news is that God has done that for humanity. You can't earn it. I can't earn it. No one can earn it. It's gift. It's grace. And it's right here in the very beginning. God creates the world. God is pleased with the work of his hand, and God pronounces creation good at every turn. And the culmination of this good creation is humanity, created in God's image. You and I are created as good, as very good. God loves you as God's creation. And God said of humanity from the very beginning, this is very good. You are very good. You and I and all of us are loved. And friends, that is our primary identity. Created and loved by God. End of story. Okay, I'll say a little bit more. But remember that part. Remember that part. Say it to yourself. I am created and loved by God. I am enough. I bear the image of the divine. Okay, if we all agree to remember that, I'll move a bit deeper into this Imago Dei. On the fifth day, God creates the animals of the sea and the air. And again, God saw that it was good. And this time, God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters. And on the sixth day, after God created the land animals and named them good, the story moves to the culmination of creation, according to this first version of creation. God creates humanity in God's own image. And God blesses us and says to us, to all of humanity, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, there's more to that blessing, but I'll stop to point out that so far it's the exact same blessing as has been previously given to the animals. The blessing to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But there's more. For us creatures who are uniquely bear God's image, there is an additional blessing and a responsibility. We are blessed to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and to subdue it and to have dominion over the fish and the birds and the animals. Now, one of my favorite seminary professors helped unpack these verses in his Genesis commentary. Dr. Sibley Towner says that while our Bibles often translate verse 26, let us make humanity in our image and let them have dominion over the fish and the birds and the cattle, it is equally valid and possibly truer to translate that original Hebrew let us make humanity in our image so that they may have dominion over the fish of the sea. It's not that the world is ours to use as we wish or destroy as we wish, 
God's original blessing doesn't say, for the sake of your own personal comfort, do what you want with the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. No, we are created in God's image so that we might be stewards of the animals and the earth. Sibley suggests that this dominion is more about stewardship and nurturing, a sense of responsibility towards the things that God loves. And it's not just me and Sibley who translate the original Hebrew this way. Biblical scholar Walter Brueggemann says that dominion here is that of a shepherd who tends and cares for and feeds the animals. It has to do with securing the well-being of every other creation, Brueggemann says. The way I'd say it is, this is not exactly a direct word-from-word Hebrew translation, but the way I'd say it is that as bearers of the image of God, we are called to be caretakers of the rest of creation. We as humans have been blessed with the responsibility as the ones with unique imago dei. Desmond Tutu in his Children of God storybook paraphrases it. And then God said, I will make people and I'll make them like me so they can enjoy the earth and take care of it. This blessing as image bearers carries with it the responsibility to be caretakers, nurturers, protectors. Now, the question you may be asking is fair. In the face of capitalism and greed and climate crisis and species extinction and rainforests being destroyed and on and on, what are we to do with this blessing filled with responsibility? I can't exactly say what you should do, what, what we should do. As you know, it's complicated. Thank God there are more and more committed people called to creation caretaking that are helping us think about this locally and globally. Some trailblazers started thinking and praying and working on this generations ago. And God has raised up more and more folks passionate about taking care of our earth. Our family just spent a few weeks out west exploring some of our national parks, Yellowstone and the Grand Tetons and Glacier. Thankfully, forward-thinking caretakers worked through our government to set that land aside and preserve it and millions more acres of American land for future generations to explore and to fall in love with, to be awestruck by, and, and hopefully to develop a love and a respect for nature and for its place in the world. But friends, for those national parks to exist, it took the combined effort of countless artists and poets, photographers and naturalists. I'm convinced it also took parents and school teachers and pastors, business owners and politicians. The history of each park is unique, but each of them was created by the culmination of literally thousands of decisions to lean towards caretaking by hundreds of individual people. 
While I can't say exactly what you should do, I can say that it will take a concerted effort from all of us to turn the tide on becoming caretakers of creation. Because I can't resist a place to start, it's pretty hard to beat, reduce, reuse, recycle. I mean, they tried to make it simple for us. Caretaking means doing things in our own homes and our individual lives. From my perspective, mostly reducing. I think the recycling part lets us off too easily. We gotta stop buying in the first place. First, reduce. Reduce our purchasing, reduce our consumption, reduce our waste. Reduce the thermostat and live a little warmer in the summer to reduce our dependence on electricity. Reduce those single-use plastics that are so darn convenient. Reduce the fossil fuels we use. Reduce the plastic bags at the grocery stores. We have to reduce our own personal comfort. Those might be places to start this month. Start or continue composting at home and bring your compost to church. That'll help us reduce what goes into the landfills. Tell University Presbyterian Church's Earth Care team thank you for their work. Or join them if you're ready to take a step further in caring for the earth. This summer, while at the Grand Tetons in Yellowstone, my children really got into this junior ranger program that our national parks offer. I don't know who started the program. Likely it was a group of forward-thinking educators who wanted to move the ball on caretaking of the land and the animals. Maybe one of them grew up in an earth care congregation somewhere. When Will and Aubrey completed their junior ranger workbooks with all kinds of facts they'd learned about the parks and activities they had to complete to increase their knowledge and their love of nature, a United States Park Service ranger swore them in as junior rangers. It was, a, it was a serious raise your right hand and repeat after me swearing in. I mean, they got to wear the ranger hat and everything. I am proud to be a National Park Service junior ranger. I promise to appreciate, respect, and protect all national parks. And I also promise to continue learning about the landscape, the plants, the animals, and the history of these special places. And I will share what I learned with my friends and family. It was effective. It's a great program. It puts teeth to what it means to be caretakers. Now, I'm not going to make us all do it together, but I edited that junior ranger swearing in for us divine image bearers who have been blessed with the responsibility to nurture God's good creation. I am proud to be created by God and to bear God's divine image. And I promise to appreciate, respect, and protect creation, the sky, the water, the earth, the animals. And I will share what I learned with my friends and my family. And I might add, so help us God. Amen.